Let me ask you a question. What picture do you have on your cell phone home screen? What photo do you have on your cell phone? You don't have to show it to me. <laughs> but it's fun to think about it. What picture do you have on your cell phone home screen? What do you cherish so much that you want to look at it every time you use your phone? Good one. Let me ask this. If you were going to put a picture of God on your cell phone, what picture would you choose? Picture of God. Maybe after today, maybe after this morning, we'd all put Psalm 139 on our phone because Psalm 39 gives us one of the most precious, breathtaking views of God in the entire Bible. Psalm 139 was my mom's favorite psalm. A lot of you knew my mother. She would have been 93 this weekend, but she is celebrating her everlasting birthday with the Lord Jesus now. But Psalm 139 is also my favorite psalm because every time I read it, every time I read Psalm 139, I realize how much I'm underestimating God. Do you ever underestimate God? Psalm 139 tells us three things we really need to know about God in order for our faith to grow and our worries, our troubles to shrink. So what are those three things? Let's pray together and then we're going to find out. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that when we open our Bible, we have your voice speaking to us. These are your thoughts. This is your heart, right to our heart. And Father, I do pray that each one of us would open our hearts to your truth, open our hearts to your teaching today so that we would leave here changed. We would leave this place with more confidence in you, more joy in you, and more peace in you than we came in with. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Please turn to Psalm 139. How many of you read Psalm 139 to prepare for today? Oh, good. It's awesome. I, I have here in my hand my new Bible. I got a new giant print Bible. <laughs> you know why I got a giant print Bible? Because I couldn't find anything bigger than a giant print Bible. I had to settle for giant print, but I've got it and I love it. It's so great to be able to see it. Here's the outline for Psalm 139. We're going to talk about what God knows, where God is, how much power, how much power God has, and why we should care. Why do we care? Psalm 139 is a very personal psalm written by David. We read in scripture that David was, had a heart that was after God's own heart. And the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord was mightily upon David. And we see that in the intimacy of this writing. Let's enjoy Psalm 139. We're going to take it a section at a time. So we'll start with part one, what God knows, verses one to six. Let's read it together. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. Cannot attain to it. So here we find the first thing we really need to know about God. God knows everything. God is omniscient. That's the big word. He's omniscient. means he's all-knowing. All-knowing means God's knowledge isn't virtually unlimited. It's literally and completely unlimited. David writes, you have searched me and known me. Psychologists tell us that one of the most basic human needs we have is to be known. And to be known is not about popularity or fame. To be known is all about our human need for connection with someone. A lot of people know us from church, know us from school, know us from work, or know us from somewhere, right? But we're only going to be known by a very few. It takes a long time. It can take a lifetime to be really known. It's like the difference between having a friend and a best friend. A friend knows some things about you. A best friend could write a very embarrassing biography on your life. A friend is someone you tell a secret to and you ask him or her, don't tell. A best friend already knows all your secrets and never has to be told not to tell. A friend would bail you out of jail. A best friend would be sitting next to you in jail. God knows you better than your best friend. God knows you better than you know yourself. God sees and knows absolutely everything there is to know about you. When David wrote this psalm, he had to be thinking back to how God found him and made him the next king of Israel. Do you remember that story? The Lord sent a prophet named Samuel to a place called Bethlehem to go find and anoint the next king to replace the disobedient King Saul. And the Lord sent Samuel to the house of a man named Jesse. Is that name Jesse familiar to you? Do you remember all the way back to last week? Ruth 4, verse 21 to 22, when Pastor Mark included Ruth 4 last, we read this. And to Salmon was born Boaz, to Boaz, Obed, and to Obed, was born Jesse, and to Jesse, David. So Jesse was Boaz and Ruth's grandson. And Jesse himself had eight sons, eight boys. And when the prophet Samuel saw Jesse's big boy, Eliab, Samuel, the prophet, thought he was for sure looking at the next king of Israel because this guy looked like what a king should look like. But the Lord had to correct his mistake. So we read in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as a man sees. For God, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. Looks at our heart. God chose Jesse's youngest son, the shepherd boy, David. And David did not look much like a king on the outside. But he had the perfect heart for the job. And just like with David, God sees right into our hearts. God knows us completely from the inside out. Perfect, unlimited knowledge is one of God's attributes. If there was a seat belt at your chair, this would be a good time to put it on because look at this. God never needs to learn something new about you. God is never ignorant or uninformed. 
There is nothing God has to discover that he doesn't already know. And what he knows, he has known forever. If that's too much for your brain to take in right now, don't worry about it. Just sit back and enjoy our awesome, all-knowing God. Verse 2, David writes, You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. God knows every detail about your life and my life, even the mundane, tiniest little things. Have you ever been misunderstood by someone? Have you ever been misunderstood? It hurts, doesn't it? It's really frustrating. The all-knowing God will never misunderstand you, not ever. We, on the other hand, we misunderstand God all the time, but God never misunderstands us. David writes, you, Lord, understand my thought from afar. David is telling us something wonderful. He's telling us that God is far, far above all things, yet he's always so close that he can hear and understand every thought. God hears and understands every thought you have. This means, you and I, we have God's, almighty God's, undivided attention. What other world leader do you have his undivided attention? You have almighty God's undivided attention. In verse 3, David writes, You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Our path means our journey in life. The journey. God never takes his eyes off your road. <laughs> Sometimes we fall asleep at the wheel. God never takes his eyes off your road. God knows exactly where you are physically, spiritually, emotionally, every second of every day. He knows exactly where you are and exactly where you need to go to become everything he created you to be. God is not casually aware of you. He's intimately aware of you. He knows precisely what you're doing. And better than that, he also knows precisely what he's doing in your life. The situations that look complicated to us are crystal clear to God. So here is a fact of life for the believer that we have to come to terms with. Worrying makes no sense if you believe in an all-knowing God. Worrying makes no sense if you believe in an all-knowing God. We make mistakes. God does not. We get confused. God does not. So many times we don't really know what's best for us. God always knows what's best for us. Therefore, when we put our faith in God, when we trust in God, we're doing the most logical and helpful thing we can possibly do. Worrying, Jesus said, does absolutely nothing for us. Worrying does absolutely nothing for us. In verse 4, David says, Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. This verse always reminds me of something I learned in elementary school. Way back in maybe third, fourth grade, fifth grade maybe, our teacher came in and showed us a diagram of the human ear. And she was teaching us how our ears are constructed to receive sound. And then I remember our teacher made the joke that if somehow our anatomy was reversed, instead of our ears receiving sound, our ears would broadcast sound. Our ears would broadcast every thought we have. 
Wouldn't that be interesting? What if we had little speakers mounted on the side of our head that was constantly broadcasting everything we're thinking all the time? Well, God does hear every one of our thoughts and unspoken words. God knows all of our secrets and God knows all of our motives. God knows what we're going to say before we do. So God knows all of our thoughts. So the question we have to answer is, okay, God knows all of our thoughts. How many of his thoughts do we know? How many of God's thoughts do we know? It turns out God wrote a book, and he wrote his thoughts down for us. And there are over 31,000 verses in the Bible. So that means you and I have over 31,000 thoughts of God that we can read and we can get to know. But it's going to take all of eternity for us to know all of God's thoughts. Verse 5 You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. David is marveling how the Lord uses circumstances to direct his path. Do you ever think about that? The all-knowing God places you and me in situations that he is going to use to direct our lives. You've experienced that in your life. Are you ever heading one direction? And you're on that path, you got a head of steam, and you're moving, and then all of a sudden something happens in your life to make you stop, maybe turn this way or turn that way, or just turn around and go back? Does that ever happen to you? When we pray, we often say, well, I prayed for this or that, and the Lord closed that door, but opened another. So sometimes the thing that you pray for God to remove from your life is the very thing God put there to direct your life, and he will remove it at the right time. We go through things and we say, Lord, please take this away. We get to, with the prayer team, we say, Lord, please take this away. And God says, I will take it away at the right time because I have given you that very thing to direct you to exactly where you need to go. If we believe, if we really believe in an all-knowing God, then we need to keep our eyes wide open in our circumstances, especially the hard ones. The harder things get, the more we should be paying close attention to what God wants to do to guide us in that situation. I think you'll agree with this. By nature, we're all really good at complaining about our circumstances. But as we grow in our faith, as we get to know God better, we can become really good at looking for his purpose in our circumstances. Nothing is more refreshing than to stop complaining and start looking for God's, circumstance, God's purpose in our circumstances. In verse 5, God's hand speaks of his closeness, how close he is to us. He's got his hand on us. Sometimes God's hand is like a gentle father's hand, just, just nudging us. Go this way, go that way, slow down. Other times, like when we're not paying attention to God's gentle hand, his grip gets a little more firm as he directs our lives. So here's the wonderful truth that we get from these pass this passage we're reading. God knows everything about you. God knows everything about you. So you can be certain that nothing, nothing happens to you by accident. God knows everything about you, so nothing, nothing happens to you by accident. God has a perfect purpose for everything. We may not know what the purpose is. God never promised us that we would know the purpose for everything. What God promised us is that he would know the purpose for everything. I hope we take, hope we take great comfort in that. David declares in verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. In my generation, he would be saying, Lord, you're blowing my mind. Amen? Let's read the second stanza of where God is, verses 7 to 12. 
David writes, verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. So this is the second thing we really need to know about God. God is everywhere. God is everywhere. We see that God knows all things. He is omniscient. God also occupies all places. He is omnipresent. God exists everywhere at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, you can picture that, right? God exists everywhere at the same time. You and I are limited by our physical bodies, so it's really hard for us to even imagine how God can be unlimited in his presence. But God is completely unlimited in his knowledge, in his presence, and in his power. In verse 7, David writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? David uses a question to state a fact. We are in the constant presence of God. We are with God wherever we go. God is not restricted by geography or time like you and I are. When you and I travel, when we travel, we can go far away from home, but we haven't moved an inch away from God. Wherever you are, here's the truth you can claim. Wherever you are, just because you cannot see God does not mean he cannot see you. You have Almighty God's undivided attention and his undivided presence at all times. David gives us a couple of examples to illustrate his point. He says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If we ascend to heaven, that's God's throne room, we're going to find God there. I think we've always been told that since we were little. But David says if he descends to Sheol, Sheol is the Hebrew word for death or hell. So David is saying even if you descend to hell, God is there. So is David really saying that God is in heaven and God is in hell? Yes. But God's presence creates two very different circumstances in these two opposite places. Heaven overflows with God's grace. Hell, hell overflows with God's judgment. So we have a decision to make, you and I, and you, you and I are the only ones that can make it for ourselves. Where do you want to make your eternal bed? Where do you want to spend eternity? In paradise? With God's love? Or in torment? with God's wrath. Verse 9 and 10 says, If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. The wings of the dawn is a poetic way for David to talk about the rays of morning light. You ever get up early enough to see the sunrise? See those morning lights? If David was writing this psalm today, he would probably use language like this. He would say, Lord, if I could head east as far as I can go at light speed, You're with me all the way. God is also with us even in the most obscure and remote places we can go on earth. Here's why this is wonderful news. God is with us when we find ourselves in places we never 
expected to be. God is with us if we find ourselves on the mission field. God is with us if we find ourselves in a hospital bed or unemployed or in some situation we just never, ever saw coming. God's hand never leaves us. And God's hand speaks of his sovereignty. And sovereignty means God is everywhere and always in complete control. God is everywhere, and he's not just looking. He's always in complete control. There are times in our lives where we feel alone, right? And there are times in our lives where we feel like our life is out of control. In those times, we have to trust God's word more than we trust how we feel. Because God promises that he is always with us. We are never alone. He is always with us. And God promises that our life is never out of his control. In fact, it's probably a good thing if you realize your life is out of control. Because it is. It is out of your control. But it is never out of God's control. Verse 11 and 12 are my favorite. He writes, If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Surely the darkness will overwhelm me. The word overwhelm means to crush. Surely the darkness will crush me. Surely life, whatever David was going through, he was saying, surely this situation will crush him. Do you ever feel like that? When we're overwhelmed, don't we feel crushed by whatever circumstance we're going in? And when we're overwhelmed, when we're crushed, doesn't life look really dark? But God sees perfectly in the dark. And Almighty God can lead us through those dark times. Like you, I've been in times that were so black, I didn't even think there was any light left in the world. But God is that light in the darkness. Have you, ever, have you ever woken up in the middle of the night, early in the morning, and it's pitch black, and you're feeling scared or worried about something? If that ever happens to you, or the next time that happens to you, do yourselves a favor. Turn on your light and read Psalm 139 and cling to God's promises with everything you've got. Let's read part three, how much power God has, verses 13 to 18. We come now to one of the most tender pictures of God's power in the Bible. In in the book of Genesis, we read about God's mighty power speaking the entire universe into, into existence. But here, we see the unlimited power of God in how he created you and me. Let's read together verses, uh, what do we think, 13 to 18. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. 
So here is the third thing we really need to know about God. God has unlimited power. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere present. And God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God has all power over all things at all times and in all ways. God has all power over all things at all times, at all times and in all ways. David writes, you wove me in my mother's womb. This word wove is an amazing word that he picked because in the Hebrew, this word wove speaks about two things, complexity and artwork. Complexity and art. You were woven with complexity and art. My daughter Annie has gone back to school. And last month I helped her study for her anatomy class. She had a test in anatomy. So she had a bunch of study cards and I was supposed to read her the questions and she would give me the answers. I didn't even understand the questions I was asking her. (laughs) She was describing parts of the body I didn't even know I had. Clearly... Our bodies that God created are really intricate. They're really complex. But we read here, too, that the word wove also means each one of us is God's personal work of art. So, when you look in the mirror, and when you look at somebody else, are you praising God for his artwork? Or are you an art critic? David, in verse 14, says, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How often do we just thank God for making us? When is the last time you just said, Lord, thank you for my life? Thank you for creating me. It's a gift, this life. Shouldn't shouldn't we give God a gift on our birthday? Fearfully and wonderfully made means that God was very purposeful and very intentional when he made you. You know, sometimes parents might say something like this. They might say, well... Our child was not planned. God never says that about you. You have been planned by God long before you were born. In fact, you were planned by God way back in eternity past. God has been planning for you since eternity past. David says, wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Trusting in the power of an all-powerful God gives us incredible confidence no matter what we face in life. Whatever you and I face in life, we have God's unlimited power right with us. So here's the truth. Whatever big obstacle we face, God is always infinitely bigger. Whatever ginormous obstacle is in your road right now, God is always infinitely bigger. I know the obstacle looks big. How am I going to get over that? How am I going to get past that? How am I going to get through that? God is always infinitely bigger. This is why we need to keep our eyes on God and not worry about our problems. In verse 15 to 16, David writes, My frame, meaning my body, was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. You and I, again, we see are God's personal creation. You and I are God's handiwork. Verse 16, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Your life and my life is not a matter of fate, luck, or random chance. 
You and I are here because God created us. And God personally sets and sustains our lifespan. Years ago, I met an absolutely wonderful man. He was a veteran of World War II. And he told me that this verse was his favorite verse in the Bible because every time he went into combat, he knew that God was in charge of the day he would die, not the enemy. Isn't that great? God is in charge. He actually went on to say that he felt, even though he was scared, he realized he was as safe in that battle as he would be at home. God's in charge of our lifespan. Verse 17 to 18, David writes, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. What is the most valuable thing in your life? What is the most precious thing in your life? David says that nothing is more precious to him than the thoughts of God. What are God's thoughts? What is God thinking about? What are God's thoughts? Well, they are thoughts of love, truth, righteousness, forgiveness, mercy, grace, wisdom, and countless more. In fact, if God's thoughts outnumber every grain of sand on planet Earth, on all of our beaches, all of our deserts, and under all of our oceans. God's thoughts outnumber those. And God's unlimited thoughts also include his unlimited thoughts about you, his unlimited thoughts for you, and his unlimited thoughts of you. We may forget about God from time to time. God never forgets about us. At the end of verse 18, David declares, when I awake, I'm still with you. David went to sleep thinking about God, and he woke up thinking about God. So here's the question. How would your life and my life change if we decided starting today, right now, from now on, for the rest of our lives, we're going to go to sleep, and God will be the last thought on our mind? And when we wake up, God will be the first thought of our day. How would our lives be impacted by that? Let's read now the fourth stanza, why we should care about all of this. Verses 19 to 24. David writes, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. It's easier. It's easier for you and me to see sin in other people than it is to see the sin in our own lives. David urges God to judge the wicked, and at the same time, in the next breath, David urges God, search David's heart. Show David any sign of weakness, any sign of sin. So we see here the principle that we should not consider the sin of others without considering the sin in our own lives. We should not look at the sin in other people without looking at the sin in our own lives. Jesus said, do not do not look at the little flaw in somebody else without looking at the giant flaw in yourself. 
Maybe David realized that his anger against God's enemies could cross that line into sin. So he's praying, Lord, please, search my heart. Continue to search my heart. Root out any hint of bitterness, any hint of unrighteousness. Verse 23 to 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. What do you and I do with our anxious thoughts? Do we turn our anxious thoughts over to God? Or do we hold on to our anxious thoughts? Verse 24, see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. David understood something you and I have to understand. That any sin of any size hurts our relationship with God. There really isn't such a thing as a tiny little sin that doesn't matter. David understood that. I hope we do too. It's easy to forget. Sometimes we're in sin and we don't realize it. So like David, we should be praying all day long. Search me, O Lord. Like David, you and I, we know this is true. You and I can sin in the blink of an eye. One second, we are blessing the Lord. And in the very next second, we're failing the Lord. We've done something in our thoughts or in our actions or something we've said to fail the Lord, right? This is why you and I should be praying this. If you ever wonder what you should pray about, this is it. Lord, search my heart. Show me if there's any, any hurtful way in me. I'm going to invite Russ and the worship team to come up as we prepare for communion. And let me close with this, because David closed with this. Every day, every day you and I are bombarded with thoughts of the world. We can't get rid of it. Constantly being bombarded with thoughts of the world. And the Lord tells us in his word that the thoughts of the world can look right to us. They can seem right, what we're hearing, but they lead to death. Only God's way, only God's way is the everlasting way. Our prayer team will be right over here on the side. If you would like prayer for anything after we take communion, please see them. They'd love to pray with you. Let me close this in prayer. Father, I just pray that you would search each one of us and know our hearts, try us, and know our anxious thoughts, and see, Father, if there's any hurtful way in us, and lead us in your everlasting way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.